You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Denver, Colorado. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards, also in Denver, Colorado. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. Yeah, we couldn't help ourselves, but we had to record another episode while I'm still here, although I'm departing tomorrow. So um, by the time this releases, um, some time will have gone by, and that's why today we decided to mostly go for timeless topics. Uh, We'll have a little bit of follow-up, but it's mostly going to be about things that hopefully will still uh, hold true in a few years, except for some of them which we want to get better at. So um, we yeah. do have one newsy topic, and that's the Adam Levine song contest with the awful terms that we talked about last week, where basically even participating in any fashion meant they owned everything you submitted. Yeah, um, they have changed that, and correct me if there's more nuance, but basically only the winner will waive rights now, and not literally anyone in the contest. Right? They basically added a sentence up front that says, "If I'm chosen to be the winner, then dot dot dot," and that's where the what what came before then uh, is, is being said. Is that so, like adding an if statement around your code? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Conditionals are pretty foundational to computer code, maybe. Yeah, but it's good to see that, um, once again, the internet being loud about something made a difference. Um, we I'm, did it. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Um, still, I mean, it's kind of understandable that when you like take part in some kind of contest like this um that you would waive some or maybe even all of the rights of the things you submitted that's basically what they're going for what we talked about last time like this is crowdsourcing an idea um but at least now it's not as shady as it is before um now the thing is always with music yeah who copied whom and what is actually the same or what just sounds similar so um, if I submit a song there, maybe they would still take a melody out of there and modify it slightly. But um, yeah, at least um, this now um, they have less reason to do so. Or let's say less safety when they are doing that. Yeah. And so with our follow-up completed, we actually uh, came up with a bunch of topics that are not just newsy-related, but uh, sort of broader musical topics. And uh, um, we were just dreaming up questions, and uh, one of the first couple I thought would be fun to kind of talk about is uh, what are some things you're amazing at, whether it's audio engineering or music-related? And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's nothing, but hopefully it's something. Um, uh, let's dial it back a bit. Not necessarily amazing, but yeah. we feel kind of solid and good at doing yeah. certain things already. or relative like to, our strong points yeah what are we good at um at least relative to what we're not good at and uh, <laughs> that would be the second half of that question is what are the things that you're like oh i need to spend more time on that or i'm just not talented at that and i focused on other things <laughs> um maybe let's start with those two and then we'll reveal the other questions um so why don't you start us off what, what are you good at well one of the things that most of my stuff is really based on and yeah, talking about music, it seems kind of obvious, but melodies. Now, of course, there's melodies everywhere, but just melodies on top of melodies on top of melodies. And um, I've started to do more with just harmonies and and not plastering everything with small little melodies that are like on like bricks on top of each other to build a musical wall. Um, so I think that's where my strong point lies when it comes to composition alone. Just melodies. Give me something, some kind of four chord and an idea, and I'll make a melody out of that, and a second one, and a third one. And most of the time, they kind of work together in some fashion. So I would say that is what I'm, I'm most... At least I'm better at it than just coming up with harmonies in general because that sometimes ends up in a four chord song that I then kind of modify to move it away from that a little bit. Yeah, I'd echo some of that. I think um, my strengths are a lot in some of the layering things, too. And uh, um, I think background vocals or making rounds or echoes or or harmonies, I I really enjoy that part of putting a song together. So a lot of my songs kind of um, center around some of that sometimes, even if it's not vocal, sometimes it's other instruments. Um, I, I think when I'm going at songs, I feel a strong instinct about like what works and what doesn't. Um, I feel like, you know, whether it's an expected or a surprising change in a song, I, I think the stuff usually works or sales. 
Um, it, it passes a smell test of like, oh, this still feels like a coherent thing you made. Um, and not just like someone throwing paint on the wall and seeing what happens. And so I feel really good about that part of, you know, when I make a song, I'm usually sure that this works as a song, whether it's going to be someone's favorite song, who knows. Um, but it, it's usually like the mechanics work. Yeah. And so I, I feel really confident in that part of my musical stuff. Yeah, similar to that, I would say that um, in, in recent years, I've started to be able to mimic certain sounds or achieve a general certain atmosphere that I've got in my head. Like, I want to now make a sad song that's very ambient and yeah, dark and uh, kind of stressful in some in certain parts. And if I set that goal, I can usually achieve that in some way. Whereas before, I was like, yeah, I'll just come up with some stuff and let's see how it sounds. Maybe it's going to be a happy song. Maybe it's going to be a sad song. So yeah. now, like when I sit down to purposely make a song for one of Lars's speed paint videos, um, I don't make like a, an electro house track that's totally danceable and goes in all crazy directions but i can usually like nail that certain sound that i'm going for um and yeah for that per, uh, for that specific use um so that was the braggy part which maybe is less <laughs> interesting to listeners who don't care how much we think we're good at certain things um and feel free to criticize us on what we just stated as our strong points yeah. Um, but I think the more interesting thing is also ad admitting the things that either you have chosen not to get good at yet <laughs> or that you recognize like, ah, man, that's, that's something I need to, to fix. Um, I guess you should start us off again since you started the last. Um, yeah, I only have real trouble at keeping songs short. Like, um, I think the shortest song in recent times has still been like four and a half minutes. And uh, some people would call that a long song in certain genres. So um, I really have, usually when I, when I get started on a song, I have so many ideas that it turns out to be like, oh, this is going to be six minutes again. And um, I've tried to stop myself earlier and be like, okay, so maybe I'm just going to have these parts and then it's only going to be three and a half minutes, which is going to be okay. But I never feel satisfied with that. <laughs> but at some point there will be a time where I'm like, I need a short song now. And this is going to be very hard for me to just stop, stop at a certain point and not make it like 10 minutes long. Yeah. Um, I don't have that problem. I'm perfectly happy making a two minute thing that says one thing and then like I'm out. Um, so maybe I, I have trouble making long songs, but um, something that, I mean, my my primary fault is I don't finish enough things, um, but that's not necessarily an interesting answer. I'd say, like, as far as mechanics, I I don't think I'm a great finger picker. I, I've, I've never learned the proper technique of using all the fingers. I'm very um, index and thumb and some middle finger oriented, and it's almost certainly bad form that probably limits me in what I'm able to do. Um even singing, I think there's like a certain slice where I'm really comfortable and I like what I do and I like my voice in that slice. But um, uh, there's a whole other, there's things I can't do that I don't even try to do. But I think all vocalists have that. Maybe. I mean, there's, there are certain things about your voice that you really cannot change unless you're an impersonator. Um, I mean, you can practice on your range, you can extend your range mm -hmm. a little bit, but your voice will always sound a certain way. You can modify it a bit, That's but at, at a certain part, it will sound strange and artificial. So um, I've started to yeah figure out like where's my voice? Where does it work best? And I'll keep in there and I'll be happy yeah. because I know I'm safe in that space. And mm -hmm. yeah, the best way to, I guess, practice that is just like sing along to other people, try to mimic their voice. Like yesterday in the car, we were listening to some Wild Beasts um, which was one of my first picks of the week. So check out our playlist and on Spotify, which you can find in the show notes on sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 51. And they usually have like very yeah, theatrical and dramatic vocals, like um, not really opera-esque, but uh, there's a lot of swelling in there. And um, Sometimes I sing along to that and actually try to nail that sound. And um, there is a cover song on YouTube where I'll try that. And um, although I'll never use that voice in one of my own songs, it's nice to practice that to just kind of find what kind of textures and what's your palette, what can you work with with your voice. Yeah. But yeah, it's always going to be in a certain range and you just have to work with it, I guess. Yeah. And maybe the, the sin that happens there is when is people 
that commit to doing something they really shouldn't be trying to do with their voice. And true, it's not, yeah. And yeah. I mean, some people have a little more to work with than others. Um, and so, I mean, that's a limitation I've recognized. I'm really happy with what I can do with my voice. It's more like I've had to construct the music that fits with that. And I think I'm able to do that. Yeah. But um, there's there's always those days you're like, man, I wish I could do what X, Y, or Z artist is able to do. And that's just not the cards you get dealt sometimes. Yeah. Um, one other thing, I guess in general, I'd say the raw mechanics. I think I'm like passable in a lot of things, but I'm not... <laughs> no one's going to be like banjo player of the year. Jack of all traits, masses of none. Yeah, maybe a little of that. Um, and so a lot of my production or recording or songwriting is really about either finding alternatives, masking, or you know the totally valid option of recruiting others who are yeah. very, very good at those things. And so I guess from that standpoint, it's like execution is a constant struggle. Yeah. The ideas, I feel, are always swimming around. <laughs> yeah, I notice sometimes uh, when I try to record some of my guitar parts, like I think them up and it's like, hey, it's, it's a pretty cool melody and I kinda, I'm kind of i kind of able to play it and then I hit record and I find out like, no, I really have to practice this for a day <laughs> before I could nail it in one take, which is usually the point where I just record several takes and splice them together. <laughs> yeah. Like I... Um, in that regard, I cheat a lot and I don't try to hide it. Um, I mean, of course, I make it so you can tell from the recording. But if you ask me, yeah, of course, a lot of my guitar tracks are uh, sliced together from different takes. Um, it's just what we talked about uh, a lot of times. Um, I don't want to sit there for two hours to nail that guitar part. I want to make that song finished. Um, I don't yeah. have to, I don't want to have to prove to anybody anything. Um, I can still practice it and then maybe nail it. Um, if I play live, I have to. But um, just to get that sound and the melody out, yeah, I'll do several takes. And it's about the greater good of the song and not yeah. necessarily yeah, that's the pride. What I mean. in- right. And um, yeah, and when it comes to guitar in general, I I listen to a lot of rock lately. Again, like I had this long electronica phase, but I'm starting to get back into to rock music again. And I noticed that I just don't like my guitar sounds when I'm trying to nail a typical rock guitar sound. Um, I just don't find them as cool sounding as what I listen to myself. And um, I mean, most of the time I go for like strange, echoey, almost synth-like guitar sounds. But if I just want some some slight distortion on there or, or guitar uh, solo part... I'm never really satisfied with that sound. And um, since I'm reworking some older songs of mine now, which are more guitar-based, I'll have to get back into that and really dial in like the minute details of a sound to really get that sound breathing and, and uh, yeah, organic and <laughs> living. Authentic. Yeah, yeah and also um, more on the technical side... Um, I still have trouble sometimes EQing vocals. Like um, I'm starting to be able to hear like, oh, this is a little nasal. This is a little muffy. I, I like this. The vocals don't shine all that much. But this is still a part where I'm like, I can hear what's wrong, but I don't quite know how to fix it yet. And I have to like play around with the EQ for half an hour until I find something that actually sounds better that I don't only yeah. think sounds better but it's actually better like the vocals cut through and they don't sound like it's behind of a wall yeah. or something and it takes a wisdom sometimes to know like is this a engineering problem that I need to affect my way out of or you know balance my way out of somehow or is it a actual structural song problem where yeah. I need to try something different altogether or is it the performance itself like yeah. um, did I actually have a stuffy nose like did I listen did I sound like this in the first <laughs> place there's no EQ that's going to fix my nose that's stuffed so um yeah it's kind of a mix of those three and when it comes to specifically like the technical side, I still have struggles sometimes doing the vocals right, which is why most of my stuff is instrumental, apart from the <laughs> fact that I'm bad at writing lyrics. Well, there is a beat em or join em kind of aspect to some yeah. parts of music making. Yeah. But yeah, in general, like all of these things that I've now listed, uh, I, I'll try to get better at those this year by actively 
making songs that need all of these like i'm gonna have vocals again i'm gonna have more guitar again i'll maybe have shorter songs but i don't really have use for them though so <laughs> let's put that on the side radio edit <laughs> i'm gonna rework some lyrics so yeah all of that uh, let's let's see let's have a recap next year if i was able to achieve all of those yeah um, so those are our first set of questions, which are the, the more narcissistic side. Um, but I thought we could, you know, have the broader question about the, the, just the field of audio engineering and music and songwriting and like, you know, another pair of questions. The first one being, are there any things, whether technological or technique oriented or, um, culturally stylistically oriented that were crucial and important in the past that are kind of not now? And I don't know if we had any good answers for that, but no. <laughs> um, even if there's not anything that's become unimportant, um, what has changed um, in, in terms of effort or approach to those things? I mean, I can only speak from my development in the last few years. Um, still, uh, since I've always been working in the box, like I was never at a mixing desk with reel to reel or any anything really analog. So I can only speak from my personal development in the box. And when it comes to that, um, making your own synth sounds, we've talked about that before, um, just having a sound in your head and not having to scroll through a thousand presets to find, find one that sounds a little similar to what you want to achieve, but actually dialing in the sound yourself within hopefully just minutes so you don't use your, uh, lose your flow while making the song. That's really something that... It's still important, but it's now gotten easier with a little bit of practice. Like everything gets easier with practice. Yeah. Whereas before you might have been like, well, you don't have what you need to do that. So just find a preset you can live with yeah. and tweak it a bit. And or you just can't execute that idea you, just, you have you in just the first don't place. get to do it. Right. Um, I'm, I would say the, the technology has advanced so much that nailing a complete take or most of a take, even if that may still be the best recording approach of like doing full takes and then editing, um, it's not as crucial. You can, you can do almost everything bit by bit. Yeah. And therefore, uh, cover gaps in ability. Mm -hmm. uh, um, of course, a, a master playing is going to come across. But you can bridge a lot of that gap with small takes and yeah. repetition. And uh, so that's something that's definitely changed. Um, I mean, it used to be just like, do you have a friend that runs a studio or do you have thousands of dollars or do you have, um, you know, a way to acquire the space and equipment? And yeah, a really nice studio is going to be able to do things you can't do in your bedroom. But depending on what you want to achieve, it's the cost and the accessibility of producing songs is dramatically easier yeah. and cheaper it's just anybody can now do it it's just you just have to learn how to do it but you have the possibility and it's yeah. free to almost yeah almost free and to ubiquitous cheap. computing hardware is right. plenty these days yeah um, i mean you can freaking do a lot of this stuff on an ipad even though yeah. you shouldn't and probably don't want to <laughs> yeah, and something else um doesn't it doesn't matter on what you record if you record on a track on an analog console or in the box uh, what has always been important is that you have to have the right listening capabilities, like the right ears, what people like to say. You have to develop your ears. And I wouldn't say that that's, still, uh, that's now easy or easier. I mean, um, good equipment has become cheaper. So, of course, er now everybody can should be able to afford at least decent speakers or decent headphones. So, um, yeah, of course, you can't mix well on, on bad speakers. <laughs> so... Um, so at least everybody has a l more leveled playing field of, yeah, I can mix on those headphones. And as long as I do a good job, it will sound great. It, it's not the headphones that are holding me back. But yeah, so um, I wouldn't say it's really gotten very easy, but with practice also ears, your ears develop, or mine have developed from there is a, there's probably nothing wrong with my mix. I'll just ship it to, okay, uh, there is something wrong, but I can't tell what it yeah, is. It just sounds wrong to, <laughs> to hopefully, oh, this is what's wrong and now I can fix it. So like, that's the goal you always have. And I think with most of the problems that I've always had in my older mixes, I could probably execute them better now. There are still probably going to be some things that I don't really perceive like some professional mixing engineer would tell me, why did you do that? It sounds horrible. Do this. And he'll yeah. tweak it a bit. And I'd say, yeah, it does sound better. But um, yeah, it's always like a mystery. You have to find out what is there that 
doesn't work that you can't actually hear right now for psychological, like psychoacoustic yeah. reasons, or you just haven't been trained to to listen to certain for certain. And, certain I things. mean, there's always the the aesthetic dimension that's hard to like. What yeah, what you what are you trying to achieve? And it's like, well, the song kind of feels this way, and yeah. then where the skill comes in is knowing what tools will help you achieve that. Yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, some of that plays into the follow-up question, which was what is kind of eternally crucial, um, regardless of how much technology makes it easier. You know, I, when I thought of this question, I was like, were there weird things that monkeys in the studio were spending all their time dialing in and doing manually <laughs> that technology had just completely obsoleted? And, you know, I don't think we came up with anything that hasn't gotten easier. Everything is getting easier, except success. Yeah. Um, but everything's kind of remained important. EQ still matters. Good performances still matter, even if you don't have to do three minutes of good performance um, at a time. Um, so I don't know. There, there, there still are some things to say that are still crucial. And I would say um, just having musical ideas and instincts will never go away. Like you got to have that, even if you know, it's the classic, like you can't buy good musical ideas you might it's not to, like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 where you can spend some cash on your ollie <laughs> yeah. and rail balance skills. Yeah, you can buy great equipment which will elevate anything you're doing, but you still might have a crap idea. Yeah, yeah and um, related to the developed ES things, you should always check your mix on multiple sets of speakers and headphones. That's always crucial. Like um, Nowadays, people have... Oh, do they have better equipment? I don't know. Um, I don't know how it's been in the 80s. Does, did everybody have like a hi-fi stereo because there were no shitty stereos? No, people had crappy headphones At, and walkmans. All the time. So um, what's always been crucial then is checking your mix on every kind of platform that's available to you to hear like, oh, it sounds great on my computer speakers, but it sounds horrible in my car and on my headphones. So there must be something that's yeah. still worth fixing. I remember that. that used to be like a horrifying experience because I would mix yeah. and like I would really enjoy what I made in my crappy headphones, but I was in my own world and I made it sound the way I wanted. And then anytime I would like show that song to someone else in any other context, I'd be cringing at my own music. I'd be like, oh, in the car, it sounds so yeah. bad. I don't want to play it. And that's you, you learn to embrace that and be like, no, it should sound good in every place possible. Right. And um, also related to that is not only checking it on multiple sets of speakers, but also comparing it to reference song that you're trying to nail the sound of. Like, and even then, like, um, I usually listen to a song that's kind of similar in the genre and the style on, on some sets of speakers and then listen to my stuff so I can actually compare like, oh, they had more treble and my high frequencies are very low, mm -hmm. so I should boost that. And that always helps like finding weak points in your mix that you can't hear because of the equipment you spend most of your time on, which might be good, but everything has its shortcomings and you just have to know them. Like when we mixed our first album on my stereo speakers, I knew that the bass was a little low on those. So I always boosted it a little more than I felt was necessary. And, um, it turned out that worked on other sets of speakers as well. So you always, you just have to know your equipment, have to know what you're going for. So you actually have a goal in mind. If you don't have a goal for your mix in mind, then of course it's going to turn out Agreed. horrible. Um, and even that could go as, as specific and small as does my snare sound like that snare I love and was trying to do. It doesn't have yeah. to be like, I want my entire song to sound like that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Re recently when I, I, I'm still rework, rework, rah reworking all the songs um i remember that one of them was like inspired by a tune by block party by a very certain song and i wanted to have my drums sound like them so i isolated like a little loop where the drums were really noticeable and tried to nail that snare and try to nail that kick and the way it thumbs is it like a heavy kick or is it just a very thin punchy kick and um, I think I've gotten pretty close in the sense that it now works with my song as well but still kind of conveys that whole atmosphere so what are the kind of things you wish somebody would have taught you earlier? Yeah, this is a, another good question of, you know, something that you, you just learned or are about to embark on learning that you're like, man, I should have, man, it would have been nice if I would have had ago. that yeah, earlier. Um, I guess the, 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 the simple answer I have before my, my stupid big answer, which can come later is, uh, intonation on mm -hmm. guitars. And this is something that I, 
have had to retrain myself on that where you put your fingers on the fret, you know, normally think, well, it's fretted, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And even the, how hard I just, you know, the tendency to grip and, um, especially if you're in a very intense or loud song or, or just different situations where you kind of forget how hard you're pressing down on the strings. Um, I've just had a growing realization of how much my pitch just gets fucked with um, <laughs> because of not paying attention to my contribution to intonation issues. So, you know, really working on finger placement and pressure has been something that um, it would have been nice to have more awareness of a lot sooner in my musical stuff. Even though I, I, I listen to my older songs, I don't think stuff sounds constantly out of tune. But I think it would have made me able to do more things that I didn't try because I didn't understand why yeah. it sounded bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things that I wish somebody would have taught me earlier is how to handle low frequency material in general. Like on my older stuff, everything that's below around, let's say, 200 hertz, like bass, guitar, kick drum, and like the bottom end of the guitars, it's a one big muddy mess where like there is no transients on the kick. The bass is barely noticeable, although you can help that with a little bit by boosting the higher frequencies of the bass because like you latch onto that more, but yeah. still you want like that bassy feeling, but still the kick drum has to come through. And there's a little bit of guitar mixed in and like I never really filtered all of that crap out that I didn't want in there. I just couldn't. Yeah. And now I've kind of learned that, um, just shelving in general yeah, with your EQ. shelving, like the EQ, then also like time based and volume things like side chaining. So every time the kick hits, the bass ducks just a little bit for a short time to leave that kick through or to let that kick through. And then the bass comes in again. It's barely even noticeable, but it really helps making a kick more punchy. Um, Maybe I've been abusing that too much lately, but um, in general, it's even if you do it like very subtle, it can help like uh, clear up the bottom end, which was always my problem. Yeah, that is kind of a beginner. Like it feels like black magic. You're like, I have no idea how they achieve yeah. anything with the low end. Yeah, like the treble. Even if that's a hot mess when you're a beginner, it's still. F seems easier to solve yeah easier to dial in and it's i mean it is some of that like everything you record has these bass frequencies that you weren't controlling and it's like you learn oh my you know guitar solo doesn't really need 100 hertz yeah. much <laughs> or just in general having material happening at let's say 30 hertz where that's almost the border where it goes from you can hear it to you can only feel it and even though it doesn't really contribute much um it raises like the overall volume of the track which makes it harder to yeah make more make it louder in the end <laughs> while you don't want to crush it but it's still like it fills up the low end with useless energy and you don't want that and every beginner has the experience of why is my song so quiet yeah <laughs> and um then people are going to say yeah boost it but you can only boost it to a certain point if there's so much stuff in the low end in the low frequency area that's so Adds so much energy and it just fills up all the space and your your speakers basically have to do work that isn't worth it because you can't yeah it doesn't contribute to the overall mix yeah. in the end. One of my bigger answers was kind of just admitting you know at a technical level I'm sure experts could pick apart everything I do and be yeah. like man you could do this would be better. And I've even had some private comments from people on songs I like a lot but they're like you know this sounds kind of crushed here or this. You know, you could pull out the detail of this and I don't disagree at all. I, there, uh, most of the time, um, I'm open to that criticism, but it, it has never been a thing that's the primary focus for me. Yeah. Which, you know, may eventually be a severe limiting factor in how much my art can do. But I, I love the song making part so much more than the technical side that I kind of get by on the technical side. And yeah. I still try to pick up new tricks, but um, that's, I guess those tricks, are, they're, not, they're not all tricks, like there's some magic show. but Just techniques. Um, there's, there's probably hundreds of techniques that I should be saying I wish someone would teach, have taught me these 10 years ago yeah. that I've still yet to learn. Um, but I, I don't want to discount uh, how audio engineering really can open up new doors to new kinds of music. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the history of music is, you know, what is tremolo? What is reamping? What is delay? What are all these things? Yeah. Um, their experimentation. But the thing is, do you want to be an audio engineer or do you want to be a musician who functions as his own audio engineer in some, yeah. some degree and 
or basically what you're saying is I don't want to be a perfectionist in only this discipline. I want to like have a combination of both of these things yeah. and have something at least passable that comes out of it. And I'm on the same train there. I uh, try to make my mix, uh, my mix better every time I make a new song. But yeah, I'll never nail that perfect sound. I'll never be able to do it probably uh, unless I spend a lot of time on certain skills where I would say, yeah, but I also want to do the other stuff. Like yeah. as interesting <laughs> and great as that is. And as much as I probably in some part of my mind wish that I would have a career in like professional audio engineering and really get into it like 40 hours a week or even more like learning all that stuff and perfecting it. Um That's probably not going to happen, and so I'll try to make the best out of it. But I know I'm never going to be have that yeah. great, awesome, almost perfect sound. When there's so, an opportunity cost, you you probably yeah. could achieve that career. And then, how many songs would you complete? Maybe half as many as you would will I be happy otherwise. With that, yeah. And you're also doing programming, and there's other things you like to do. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is this is life. It's this is the problem <laughs> when you have too many hobbies. Like sometimes it's like, man, I wish I only had one hobby and would invest all my time in that. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I've been doing this for two hours, but I also want to do this for three hours. And maybe I just want to watch all of House of Cards today. <laughs> yeah, which we totally didn't do. <laughs> Technically, we uh, didn't. <laughs> um, so, anything else for the good of the order? Even though I kind of threw the giant. Molotov cocktail yeah. of everything. Um, so what I always struggled with is programming drums that sound realistic. Um, since I never really had the opportunity to record acoustic drums that were actually played by a human being. Um, and in the, in the near future, I probably still won't have that ability. So I'm still programming my drums. But that is something that I wish had been taught to me earlier. I would have read on earlier like i was always like okay i'm gonna try these things on an actual drum set first to see it's, if it's realistic to play but that's where it stopped like i didn't care about velocity i didn't care about like minute shifting in the rhythm to make it more natural sounding and in just like what's what snare am i gonna pick like i've got this great drum sampler and i'm always using that one rosewood snare and um, just the general aesthetics uh and the feel of drums that was something that i kind of neglected for, neglected for many years and I've come back to it like before I released my EP which is where I invested a lot of time in making those drums the way they should be and I I'm still kind of satisfied with how they sound and I'm trying to put that now to use in my new songs that's great and uh I'm sure we could always revisit this sort of conversation in smaller pieces when we make advances and it's like oh man I just figured out X technique yeah. uh, it'd be fun to share samples of like check this out sure um, if I ever learn anything new again um, <laughs> we have another uh, sort of broad topic and that's uh, related to a newsy thing but kind of you know breaks into several questions we came up with and that's uh, th this sort of uh, letter to artists that's come out from Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter um, it's kind of a little manifesto calling for artists to uh, embrace their humanity and aim for peace in these troubling times. And um, it's, it's kind of a big uh, sentimental call for the value of art to impact the world for good. And uh, I mean, any reactions to this letter? And maybe we can get to our related questions after that. Yeah. Um, what did you think of this I'll letter? I'll keep my opinion on it pretty short. Like I like the optimism optimism in it and um it's always good that um yeah, let's say famous or successful musicians talk about this topic and don't just be like, "Oh, I'm on this cloud up here and I'm successful and I'm going to keep all of this to myself." Like um people notice that things are changing and they talking about it, it's always good, but I'm still kind of cynical about this whole whole letter because it's like yeah, it's a lot of, it's a boost in optimism, but it's no no new wisdom that we haven't heard before. It's just kind of summed up in a different order now and uh, with different words, but it's still something that isn't really truly new. Like, yeah, this doesn't really solve problems in, in at least I don't see it that way that this will solve problems. Maybe it's not their goal to solve any problems. Maybe it's just really to boost a little bit of optimism. Yeah. Yeah. But that might actually just me be, be, be me being cynical. Yeah. Well, and this always breaks into the infinite contours of why do you make music and for what purpose and what do you hope it will achieve? And, um, 
you know, there could be any number of subjective answers to that, but what are, what are your answers? What are my answers? Um, well, I just like to make music. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I try to put like the reasons here in a list, um, more or less in a descending order, although I wouldn't really say that it's like, oh, this is more important than the other stuff. But, uh, what I think about most, like, first of all, I just want to make cool songs that I like that are like, oh, I want there to be a song that sounds like this or that has this in it or like this specific technique or melody in it. And then after that, it's like, yeah, and hopefully other people will like it. Um, it will never for me, it will never be the other way around that I try to please other people and make a song that I personally wouldn't like. I'll always try to achieve something that I like as well. <laughs> so then, if ska comes back, you're not making a ska uh, no, band? No, probably not. Um, <laughs> then in a broader sense, I like to kind of advance music as a whole. Like I want to experiment in certain ways and have some kind of techniques or melodies or instrument combinations that maybe haven't even been done before and like they they um further um yeah stretch the boundaries of music or they cross boundaries um which is always hard because everything has probably been done before everything's a remix <laughs> but um there's still things that even let that at least for me like I've never done this before let me let me try it and then comes recognition just of course um if there are a lot of people who would say oh yeah that music is awesome and i got a fan base mm-hmm. like who wouldn't want that it's not the reason why i make music but it's a side effect that of course i can say that i'm happy about when yeah. i achieve that yeah i've i'm very comfortable saying that uh creating music for me is 99.9% self expression and um that's how i got into music um was finding artists that were saying things that I didn't know how to express or, you know, whether it's fears or love or questions or um, answers they've found to things. Um, that's what I always latch on to in music is that rhetorical dimension, which I'll speak to more a little later. Um, and so that's always what I'm after. Even if lyrics, maybe ironically to this point, come last in my musical process, um, it's still about a feeling that kind of comes out and then I find words that are related to that feeling um, or that urge. Um, beyond that, like you said, of course, I'd love to have an audience, a dialogue, some kind of interaction. Um, when I make something I think is really good and that I like, I imagine or hope that there's something to it that others will connect to, that it'll be, that there's some substance there that other people would find interesting and worth checking out. And uh, of course, that's always difficult to navigate or, or yeah. ascertain how much you've actually achieved. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it, it always comes back to, I, I'm not making my art. Well, let's get to the next question. Yeah. Um, do you have interest in your, your, your music or your art of any form? Is, is there a political dimension or some kind of, other motive or you know even to particular songs like man i really hope this influences the way society views <laughs> this thing um is that ever part of your personal conviction i tried i failed and i'll probably never do it again so <laughs> in one of my old school bands um we had some some songs where in the lyrics it was like social critique a little bit and I still think like the thoughts that we had weren't wrong. It's just that the way we conveyed them were like very childish. And I would say that for my own lyrics, they were kind of pathetic. Um, because it's like, oh yeah, I'm a 17 year old and I'm trying to wi- write lyrics in English about a social topic. At least for me, like that, that could only go wrong. There was no way that would turn out right. So, um, I'll probably not try again until I find myself like feel really solid in some kind of topic, uh, which is why most of my lyrics that still exist or I'm still probably going to write are going to be about personal things, about feelings, or just things that are so abstracted and veiled in layers of abstractions that you probably can't tell anymore what I'm talking about. And at which point lyrics might actually be useless. Um, but at least like I feel something when I perform them and I think about, yeah, this line means this, even though nobody else will be able to tell it. It evokes a certain emotion and that will influence my performance. And I feel good about being able to express something, even if there are only a handful of people who will actually get that message. So I, prefer staying on the more abstract side than trying to 
have something that everybody understands and failing at that? I guess my answer is also not really. Um, I, I covered an anti-war song once, Bring Em Home, um, <laughs> on banjo. Um, mostly I just enjoyed the melody, but I am, you know, generally anti-war as a stance. Yeah. And so it wasn't like a, a political struggle to get behind the song. Um, uh, I, I mean, I tend to prefer, prefer personal stories or, or philosophy or certain kinds of question asking in songs. And I do think these things, could be seen as political sometimes but yeah it's never like well i'm 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 back in bernie sanders here here we go <laughs> or something ridiculous like that um even if you're feeling the burn i, I don't think i'd write that song <laughs> and so you know i guess you could take that question and my my even more you know leading question is is art always political is there such a thing as being apolitical um Oh, maybe you have some some sound bites on that, and then I can weigh in with what I think. Um, yeah, I would I would think that there are definitely songs that are inherently political by the way they're written, like the lyric content, or maybe even without lyrics, just the soundscape. Like for example, the song "Agent Orange" by Deepesh Mode, which is an instrumental song, and from the title itself, you can guess, like, yeah, this is about Agent Orange, and its use in the war and it's not good you shouldn't use that stuff so um i would say of course that's a very political song even while being kind of ambient and electronic and without context you wouldn't probably know what it's about although i mean okay there are like helicopter samples in that i believe um but after that it's like every song can be made political by its use in a certain context and uh, or even like twisted in a completely different direction like every time a, politi a politician plays born in the USA <laughs> it's always cringeworthy like do you actually know what this song is yeah, about or know, what it's trying to have convey have you read the lyrics to that yeah. song <laughs> um, no i agree with what you're saying and i i think what i'm interested in in is not so much the you know green day wrote a song that says george w bush is an idiot like uh like sure i agree he's who wasn't our greatest president or something, but that's not really anything I would ever aspire to. But I do think all, basically all human effort does inevitably end up in a, you know, because it's human, it ends up involving rhetoric, whether it's, even if it's just in how that thing is seen and interpreted by other people. So you could have an instrumental project that's only found sound and that can still mean something to people yeah. in ways you may never have intended and become associated with things. And so that, <laughs> that dimension is never going to be gone. Um, and it, it, obviously this gets way more complicated than what does that song mean? Because you've just <laughs> asked, what is culture? What are people? And and so you can we could talk about that forever. And uh, I did get to take some college classes on American culture studies that were really fascinating. And I'd love to take other kinds of classes like that if I ever went back to school, which I'm never <laughs> going to do. Um, and so I, I, I get that whether I'm being intentionally political or not, I'll... Everything ends up in rhetoric, I guess. Um, but I actually kind of thrive and enjoy rhetoric and argument. And no, you said this, but think about it this way. And like that, yeah. that's fun or important or all sorts of adjectives I could yeah. throw on that. But it shouldn't be taken too far. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I, I would I would hate it if any political candidate, even if I agreed with them 100%, decided your song That's is going now to be my used. Song. Yeah, is now part of the yeah the, the 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 lust for power. Maybe we're coming off our House of Cards binge <laughs> too hard here. That's true. Um, but you know, I I would be thrilled if you know something I created somehow contributed to. An aesthetic that led to a better world. Some kind of musical meme that you created that then per <laughs> perpetuates through society. Yeah. And I, I just, it's always so, I, I don't think you can really pin down these things that neatly. Like, I made this song and the world is a better place now. <laughs> it's like, maybe personally to certain people who are like, I was 13, I just broke up with my girlfriend and you helped me get through that. It's like, yeah. well, that's a beautiful little personal story, but you know, to be like, now all these millions of people will not go hungry because you wrote a good song <laughs> about world hunger. It's like, oh, okay. 
So let's get let's get to our picks of the week, which probably also didn't solve world hunger, although although they're pretty good. <laughs> I think you should go first. All right, my pick of the week is John Hopkins with the song "Open Eye Signal." Um, it's a very long electronica electronica track. Um, it has some nice biting synths. Like I like the way they kind of open up through uh, over time, and then they they're swelling, and it's just the overall aesthetic of the song. It's just like this almost like electro house thing that I just from time to time like to put on. It's really relaxing. It still doesn't drift into the background too much, at least for me. And um, although it repeats a lot, but I like repetition. And if it's a good thing, play it for 10 hours. I don't care. Um, <laughs> like Jeff Goldblum laughing. <laughs> and what I also like about it is like it has this really shaky rhythm section. So it's not just a fall to the floor with a, with a snare in it. And every once in a while there's a hi-hat. But it's, yeah, there, there's a lot of going on also in like the treble rhythm section. So let's have a little sample of John Hopkins' Open Eye Signal. So what do you think of the song? I could definitely imagine throwing this on behind all kinds of behaviors, whether I'm, I'm studying, walking, driving. Um, I, I'm not normally into like house music or like totally dancey tracks, but the, like you said, there's a lot of texture and layers going on here that adds a lot of interest to, to a listener like me. Um, some of the glitchy stuff reminded me of like the No Twist or the Eraser, even though the No Twist is way more chill and never really embraced this kind of track. And But then I would pair that with my knowledge of the genre is very skin deep, so there's probably common ancestors that smart people would actually point to. Yeah, like um, they would trace that back to, oh, this song started with this technique and this song started with this technique, and he kind of combined those two. Like yeah. I'm also not very knowledgeable in that regard. Yeah. This is one of those songs that's, you know, it's seven and a half minutes and somehow it's, it flies by and yet is that long and has that much meat to it. And I don't know how that paradox works where like, I didn't mind that it was long, yeah but it was long. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is a song by Beirut called Postcards from Italy. And, uh, this is, this song is sentimental as hell. It, it employs lots of, uh, aesthetic. It borrows lots of aesthetics. It kind of has this old world feel, but I'm sure the structure of the song, um, is very modern indie. Um, you know, there's trumpets, there's, there's a, a very, um, he really lays into his vocal parts. This is uh, Zach Condon, who's behind Beirut, and uh, he's kind of made a career. He's got many albums of this kind of stuff, even though the production isn't as lo-fi anymore. And uh, my main draw to this, um, it is that aesthetic, that sort of lo-fi feel, but it's also strong chords and melodies, um, and that sentiment works for me in this song. It doesn't work in every song, but this one, um, all the feels come to me with this song. So, so let's, let's have some of it. Yeah, let's listen to a little Beirut. So what did you make of this song? Man, you really shouldn't have picked that now that I'm about to leave this place because it was an awesome time here. So um, yeah, about the song itself, my first thought that when you played it in full for the first time was like, hey, here's some nice vocals. Just kidding, it's mostly instrumental, <laughs> um, which I'm okay with, but it's it's always nice to find like alternative song structures where it's not like uh, the vocals go all the way through and it's always paired like verse, chorus, verse, mm -hmm. chorus, but it's like, 
well, let's have this segment, and then have, let's have a totally different segment that you wouldn't actually expect. So that's what I kind of liked about it. And also the vocals kind of being humble, like there's little processing. At least I couldn't hear any double tracking in it. It's kind of dry, and it has, it has this intimate feel to it. And it doesn't work with all genres and with all songs, but here it really works very well. And yeah, about those trumpets, I'm, uh, trumpets, I'm always amazed when a song makes me like trumpets because in general, I wouldn't use them myself. I don't particularly enjoy trumpets, but yeah, if they are used well, like they are here, give me more trumpets. <laughs> I totally agree. Well, with that, we have episode 51 of Bits and Pieces. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, we collect these picks of the week into a Spotify playlist whenever possible. And you can find a link to that playlist in our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 51. And while you're there, you can also subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. If you don't know what a podcatcher is, that's okay. Most people don't. Um, but if you have an iPhone, you could download an app called overcast.fm or there's a built-in app called podcasts and what that means is you can subscribe to our show and then new episodes get delivered to your phone automatically so when you get in the car to commute to work or you go on that bike ride uh, it's already there waiting and you just press play and enjoy um, if you're on android you could use podcast addict or pocket casts and uh, we have buttons on our website to subscribe or you can probably search in one of those apps and find us pretty easily um, me and Matt are both on Twitter, and we love feedback. Uh, you can tweet at me at pseudo Michael S U D O Michael, and Matt, you are, and I'm at Ecolox E C H O L O X. And uh, you know, questions, song suggestions, topic suggestions, we love it. Please uh, hit us up there. And if you'd like to go above and beyond, there's two different things you could do to support the show. The first thing is, uh, you know, even if you hate iTunes like I do, um, you can uh, go in and leave a rating and a review. And that just helps get our podcast a little more visibility uh, in front of other people. Um, if you'd like to go even beyond that, we do have a Patreon going uh, for Sunrise Robot, our, our father network that's over all the of our shows. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, um, you can pledge dollars to us and every little bit helps. Uh, you know, if you, if, depending on the level you support us at, you might get your name mentioned on some or all of Sunrise Robot shows. And with that, I want to give a special thanks to Benji Robinson or Carolyn Kraut. We love you both so much. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>